0: Amazon Prime has this uh, television series now called The Wilds which is kind of wildly popular and it's a story about uh, a group of young ladies who are on their way to an all expenses paid vacation to Hawaii. They didn't know each other getting on this plane but their plane crashes and they find themselves having survived now on a deserted island having no idea where they are and if help is going to come or not come at all. And so let me just say real fast, that I'm not necessarily endorsing this. I don't want you to go home tonight and go, oh, what can we watch on TV? And Pastor John was talking about this series called The Wilds, and that would be a mistake. So don't do that with your family. Um, Whenever I use an illustration from culture or even quote from someone, it doesn't mean I endorse that or agree with everything that person says, but you guys know that. But I thought I would just uh, say that anyway. But I bring this up as an illustration because I find it a, a good way to launch into what we're going to talk about today. These girls find themselves on an island, strangers, but now having to figure out how to live and survive together. And in one moment, they have, um, and they're enjoying a meal of some oysters that had been discovered. And so they're sitting around and laughing and just a, a break of, of fun. And, and one of the young ladies starts making some lewd gestures. And one girl speaks up. She is the only Christian on the island. And she's kind of your stereotypical um, kind of happy, clappy Christian. And she's an encourager at heart. But she speaks up and she objects to what's going on. And of course, everything becomes incredibly tense at that moment. And, of course, there's a big explosion. And the young lady named Shelby, who objected when this thing blew up, said, What, am I not allowed to have my own beliefs? And we think, you know, in America, we are allowed to have our own beliefs. This is something that we hold and cherish. But we, we also sense that something has changed in our culture where people are not so free to have their own beliefs. And so she asked this question, what? Am I not allowed to have my own beliefs? And to that, one of the more vocal girls responded, not those ones. And I thought that's a perfect illustration of some of the tension that we see in our culture today. Alistair Begg, a well-known speaker and communicator, said this recently. I had a friend send me an article this week in which uh, he said this. For us in the English-speaking West, this world has tended to feel very much like home, and our treasures have been right before our eyes. Perhaps it is only in the last few years in the United States that we have finally faced that what the Bible says is true. In this world, we really are sojourners and exiles. That reality has been clouded and obscured by the size and legal protection of the church and most of the Western world. But this world is not actually our home. Christians are increasingly going to be seen as different and not in a good way. We are increasingly going to have to choose between obedience and comfort the next decades will not bring apathy to the gospel but antagonism and that's okay after all that has been the reality for most of God's people through most of history in this sense we are as we move ahead in time we're going back back to the world of the first century church now, i want to raise this issue and i want to talk about uh, some of the pressure that people will feel as Christians in our culture. But also, I don't want to sit there and just have this martyr complex that we are facing a really hard time in our nation right now. Many of, our, uh, many of the things that Christians tend to talk about in terms of persecution, our brothers and sisters around the world would trade spots with us in the heartbeat because they really are facing some very difficult times. But nevertheless, I do want us to pay attention to what's going on in our culture and the subtle shifts that are taking place. Another gentleman by the name of Sam Allbearing was speaking recently, and he said this, people have often thought Christianity was a bit quaint, you know. There, there, you've got your little faith kind of thing. But increasingly, what we're seeing in a more secular context is people actually saying to us, your faith is a danger to society. And that's a new space for us. We're, we're used to being looked down on and slightly patronized. I don't think we're used to feeling like we're the enemy. People used to say, I don't like Christianity because it's too moral. Now they're saying, I don't like Christianity because it's too immoral. There's an atheist by the name of Aaron Raw. He's a regional director for um, American Atheists, and he actually ran for the Texas State Senate seat in um, District 2. And he recently wrote this in a Pathos article. Christianity is definitely extremely dangerous, even in small doses. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, we love his teachings and It's been life and salvation for us, and so to to hear people say things like that, we kind of scratch our head and go, "What what are they talking about here? But I want to set up our discussion of the teaching of Jesus today by simply asking us this question, what if what I believe about Jesus cost me everything? What if, let's just fast forward 5, 10, 15 years into the future, and trends kind of continue with where they are now, and we find ourselves asking the question what if what I believe about Jesus costs me everything? Costs me popularity with friends and family, costs me my job. What happens when it costs us everything? And so what I want us to do today is to look at the words of Jesus. And we're going to call our study, When the Heat is On. Because if this trajectory is continuing, we need to ask questions now before we get to that point. And so uh, this graphic I know is a bit intimidating. I thought about when posting this up here. I'm going to be standing right in front of it. It looks like I'm engulfed in flames or something. And I don't mean it to be that. Um, these are not fires of hell or something like that. It simply means when the heat is on. What happens when the heat gets turned up? And it actually begins to cost you to follow Jesus. Now if you're here listening to me today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus or maybe you're just watching us online or hear the sound of my voice and you're just exploring the teaching of Jesus, what I'm going to invite you to do is just listen in to the discussion that Jesus is having with his closest followers as he prepares them for something they're going to face because they follow him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, let's just lean into what Jesus is saying here. He's shooting straight, he's playing for keeps, and he wants us to play for keeps as well. So let's just pause for a moment and pray and ask the Lord to to stir in our own hearts what it is that he desires for us to see this day. Lord, for those of us who do name the name of Jesus and who seek to follow him and be faithful to him in this world, we do sense that something in the waters has changed in our country. We do sense that what was once A a popular belief system is now being increasingly seen as something that people shun and maybe even in some cases seek to shut down. Lord, we don't want to have a martyr complex. Yet at the same time, we want to be wise and to hear what Jesus has to say. We can envision that it might cost us everything to, to follow Jesus in the days to come. Certainly our brothers and sisters around the world face this every single day. So enable us to lean into what Jesus has to say this day and form us and shape us into the people you desire us to be. In his name we pray, amen. Now, let's remember the context very briefly because we don't want to jump just in this and not remember what's been going on. Jesus has just come out of a confrontation with the religious leaders in which he pronounced six woes upon them. He was trying to awaken them to the danger of the trajectory that they're on if they continue to reject his message. And now he turns and he's with his disciples and the crowds are pressing in and Jesus warns his own followers about the danger of hypocrisy. He doesn't want them to be like the religious leaders. He wants them to be authentic followers of him in a new way of being human. And so he has just said these words to him. We looked at this last week. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than they can do. Jesus went, as we saw last week, after the fear of what other people might think or say or do to us. And he dealt with that. So this is still that same stream of thought that Jesus has been on. And so he says this in verse 8. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men The Son of Man also were acknowledged before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. These are some heavy words of Jesus. And as I said just a moment ago, he's playing for keeps. And one of the things I want you to know about what Jesus just said is how intensely Jesus-centered Jesus is being right now. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men... The Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus is putting himself front and center and wanting his disciples to understand that he is their everything. And so in the very middle of this verse, he brings up the term the Son of Man. Now, those of you who've been a part of Mercy Hill Church know that this was Jesus' favorite term designating himself. Other people called him rabbi. Other people called him the Messiah. But when Jesus referred to himself over and over again in the Gospels, he uses this phrase, the Son of Man. What did he mean by that? If you've been with us, you know that what Jesus is doing is he's hearkening back to the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel. Hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on the scene, Daniel, this young man who was carried off into exile into the land of Babylon, receives this vision as he serves in the courts of the king. And this is what it said, or Daniel saw, rather. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's that phrase Jesus uses. And he came to the Ancient of Days, a term for God, and was presented before him. And to him... That is, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, remember the trajectory of the storyline of the Scripture. The scriptures tell us that God created this world and established Adam and Eve to be the first king and queen of this world. He established humanity to rule this world with him. But as the story goes, we have all turned our back upon God. We want to rule the world for ourselves. And we often leave a trail of destruction in our path. And so what God did was he formed, he called this one man Abraham and promised to him that through him, He would have a nation of kings and priests, and that nation became the nation of Israel. But they replicated the fall of Adam and Eve over and over again and failed in their calling to rule well. And so Daniel, now living in the consequences of that in the land of exile, sees the vision of the Son of Man. And it's a promise that God would establish another human who would rule and reign. And so Jesus uses that phrase, the Son of Man, over and over again. So when we hear Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man, we need to hear Jesus saying something like this. I am that figure in Daniel 7. I am the world's true Lord and King. To me is given dominion and glory and God's kingdom, which will never be destroyed. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he wants his disciples to acknowledge is true about him. And so what was implicit in that phrase, the Son of Man, became explicit upon the resurrection of Jesus when he gathered his disciples together and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now let's just pause for a moment and just think about how peculiar that phrase is. Let's say my friend Todd walked in here today. And he said, hey, I just want everyone to know That God has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. And we would look at Todd and go, okay, buddy, (laughs) what's going on here? You know, let's help you over to the doctors and get you examined, right? I mean, people just don't say, I mean, there may be people who want this. I mean, as Tears for Fears told us, everybody wants to rule the world. But Jesus actually said upon his resurrection that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. And so Jesus tells his disciples, you need to confess me before people, no matter what the cost. So he's entrusting his mission to them. So what does it mean to confess him before people? Well, the Apostle Paul put it like this in the book of Romans. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, implicit in that is confessing with your mouth before other people. will be saved. This is the claim of Christianity, the message of Jesus Christ, is that when we believe on him, we are brought into a saving relationship with God in which he washes us clean from all our past guilt and shame. He accepts us as his children. He invites us into his kingdom and grants us eternal life. All because of Jesus, the Son of Man, who loved us and gave himself for us. Philip Bracken put it like this in his commentary. To acknowledge Jesus before men is to be open and honest about our total life commitment to him as our Savior and Lord. That's a good way of putting it. Another person, Leslie Newbigin, who was a missionary in India for a number of years, put it like this. He said, I am, in Pascal's famous phrase, wagering my life on the faith that Jesus is the ultimate authority. My answer is a confession. I believe. And he goes on and says, the Christian commitment is distinguished in that it is a commitment to a belief about the whole, I'm sorry, about the meaning of the whole of human experience in its entirety. Namely, the belief that this meaning is to be found in the person of Jesus Christ, incarnate, crucified, risen, and destined to reign over all things. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples to dial in on. And so he calls them to confess him before others. And so he has this this conversation here that's a little bit unnerving, isn't it? He says, if you confess me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge you before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What is he saying here? I think in many ways that Jesus is telling his disciples that when when the heat is on, when it begins to cost you something to follow me, and you're tempted to cave before the fear of what others think, that is very clarifying for what you actually believe in the moment. We can put it like this. When it starts to cost you to follow Jesus, the heat tells you what you really believe about reality. Is Jesus Lord and Savior of my life? Or are these other people my lords? And I will bow my knee to them. He goes on and says this Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Another interesting and and difficult statement from Jesus. Let's just break it down just a moment. He says here, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Jesus is saying, People who speak ill of me can be forgiven. I think that this goes, to, you know, at the time of Jesus, the, the religious leaders were slandering him, <laughs> despising him because he ate with uh, sinners and tax collectors, and they even called him a, drunken, a drunkard and a glutton. That's certainly speaking against Christ. I wonder if it, it even refers to people who at that moment had crucified Jesus because uh, we know from the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. (laughs) I mean, to crucify Jesus certainly is speaking against them, isn't it? It's telling us what we think, but Jesus, even in that moment, is trying to put the, if I could put it this way, the, the best spin on it. Father, forgive them. Those who have crucified me, Those who want nothing to do with me, would you have mercy on them? They don't know what they are doing. I think it would include even that. And I wonder if even when Jesus says, if you deny me before others, you will be denied before the angels of of God, if there's some moment of grace even in that. Who of us have not shrunk back when we maybe should have spoken up? I think of Jesus, I'm sorry, I think of Peter on the night when Jesus was arrested, having just told Jesus that he would go to prison and to death for him. Jesus said, I tell you, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. And certainly (laughs) that happened. Jesus was arrested. And Peter went and is hanging out out in the courtyard around where Jesus was on trial, trying to figure out what was going on. And someone identified him and said, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? And he says, no, I I don't even know him. And and someone else calls him and says, I I can recognize you by your accent. You're a Galilean. You're a follower of Jesus. And he calls down curses upon himself and, and denies that he even knew him. And yet Jesus, after he was crucified and restored, comes and forgives Peter. So even there is a moment of forgiveness. But Jesus says here, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does this mean? I've been a pastor since 1999, and I've had conversations with people throughout those years who feel like they've, had, they've somehow blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. They've, they've thought bad things against God, and they've asked me, have I committed this sin? And so when I try to explain exactly what this means, there's a couple times in the Gospels when we read about Jesus uh, performing a miracle, uh, casting out a demon from someone, and the religious leaders accuse Jesus of actually being satanic, of being on the side of the devil. And here Jesus uses that phrase, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, to describe the hardness of their hearts toward him. And so I usually say something like this, Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit seems to be attributing the work and witness of the Spirit of God in Jesus to Satan. It is to definitively reject Jesus as being in league with the devil. It is to have such a work perception of Jesus as to insist that he is really satanic. It's a hardness of heart toward what God has done in and through Jesus and what he was doing. And so Uh, Some people say it's not possible to commit this sin today because it was unique to the time of Jesus when he was performing these miracles, casting evil out of people, evil presences out of people, and the religious leaders there saw that and refused to believe that he was from God and attributed his work to the evil one. Some people say, well, it is possible. Jesus would call this person who, who does this guilty of an eternal sin, And so in my mind, it seems to be an ultimate rejection of God's witness in the person of Jesus. And so if that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, then I think we can say that that actually happens today as well. So he he says that to his disciples, and he says this in verse 11. And when, (laughs) not if, but when you are brought to trial in the synagogues, those were the early forms of religious gatherings that that the churches of Jesus basically grew out of. When you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So here Jesus tells us, very lovingly, that there will be a time when it will cost you everything to follow me. You may receive persecution from religious people. It may come from within the church. Or it may come when you're brought before the rulers and authorities. He says, if, he says when that happens, not if, when that happens, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. When I was preparing this, I couldn't help but think of what Jesus had told his disciples on another occasion. He said, remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is a promise of Jesus I don't think we really want, right? <laughs> you know, it's not usually one that we'll stick on a calendar next to a, a nice picture of a, a lakeside mountain view, right? Right? It's not something that we really want to think about. But Jesus tells his early followers, I think we need to hear him speaking to us who follow Jesus in this world. Look, if they came after me, there's a good chance they will come after you. And let me just say, they shouldn't come after us because we're being jerks, okay? I know a lot of times the Christians talk about persecution. They're getting pushed back for just being a jerk, for being someone that's intolerable for, for everyone, <laughs> I've certainly been around people like that, and hopefully, I've not been that way in my own life too many times. But I can remember back when I was an early Christian, and I was not—I mean, my zeal was just not the most kind and loving person. I didn't have much wisdom in how to interact with other people about things that matter most. Here's another one that we usually don't put on a calendar. This is from the Apostle Paul. He said, "For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ." We go, "Oh yeah, I like that gift." He says, you've not only been given that privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. I wonder if we would think of suffering for Jesus as being a privilege. Is that how you would normally think about it? When it costs you to speak up around family or extended family or at your workplace and we get shot down, pushed back, lose a job, whatever... Do we think of that as a privilege? The Apostle Paul did. And he actually wrote this letter to a group of Christians living in Philippi while he was in prison. (laughs) So Paul knew that it would cost him a lot to follow Jesus. And he's trying to prepare these other early followers of Jesus the same thing. So Jesus tells his his followers that when you're brought before others, when it costs you a lot... (laughs) And you're put on the defensive. He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. And so, I don't know if we're going to have to be in this position. I know that we're living off a lot of Christian capital of uh, the way things have been formed in our nation so that there is much religious freedom. I don't know if we're going to lose it or not. But if we lose it, Jesus wants us to know, don't worry about it. If you're brought to give an account of your profession of faith before others, you will be given what to say at that time. And it may include keeping your mouth shut, or it may be speaking a word in that moment. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So let's ask this question. Why does Luke record this teaching in his historical biography of Jesus? But Jesus wants everyone who reads his good news about Jesus to know what Jesus wanted his disciples to know. That it may indeed cost you everything to follow Jesus. We don't have to pay anything up front. We're we're simply invited to come follow Jesus. He doesn't require us to pay anything to get into heaven. It's all free and by grace. But in identifying with Jesus, it may cost us everything. And so what happens when what I believe about Jesus costs me everything? That's the question. So if I can summarize for us what I think Jesus is driving at. Jesus' royalty deserves our loyalty. If Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, if he did raise again from the dead, if he did tell his disciples that all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth, if he did promise to one day return, to renew this world, then that king, his royalty, deserves our loyalty. Let's look for just a a few moments here at how some of the early followers of Jesus put it. Remember the apostle Peter, the one who denied Jesus. Jesus came to him and restored him and not only forgave him, but said, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to have an important role to play in my worldwide movement. Peter himself would later write to some early followers, scattered because of persecution through the Roman Empire, these words. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter wanted his people to know that Jesus' royalty deserves Our loyalty. How about the Apostle John? He was among those who ran for their lives when they came after Jesus, and he found himself back before the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified, and Jesus entrusted the care of his own mother to John. It ended up costing John a lot. In fact, he spent the the last years of his life in exile as a captive on the island of Patmos, a captive of the Roman Empire. And it was there that he received his famous revelation. And he said this in Revelation chapter 12. He said, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die you see what Jesus I'm sorry what John saw here he saw this vision of the exalted Christ and before him were those who had gone before and had given their lives because they were followers of Jesus And he says they overcame the evil one and all his accusations because of the testimony about Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, and their own testimony about him. And he says they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. What were they convinced of? Jesus' royalty deserved their loyalty. So here's an assignment for you today. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Let me ask you this question. Why is God bringing this teaching of Jesus to your attention today? What is he doing in trying to get a hold of where you are in this moment of time to bring these words of Jesus to bear on your life today? Those of us who follow Jesus know that in many ways, our daily life is an enthronement of Jesus over And over again. So I wonder if all of us could take a collective step forward and say that we will follow Jesus no matter what. Let's do that together, but let's resolve in our own hearts that Jesus' royalty deserves our loyalty. I want to use this word, and I want it to become more of a word that we use as we think about following Jesus. That he deserves our allegiance. Do you think of your relationship to Jesus as one in which you have given him your ultimate allegiance? allegiance, To where you have said in essence, Jesus, though none go with me, I still will follow. You have my allegiance. You have my loyalty. You have my devotion. You have my dedication. You have my faithfulness because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you loved me, and you gave yourself for me, and this is the least that I could do for you. Jonathan Edwards, that early pastor in New England, once said when he was 19 years old, crafting resolutions he wanted to have guide his life, he said this, Resolved to follow God, and if nobody else does, I still will. I wonder if that resonates for you. I believe that if you are a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God is at work in your life, there's a part of you that wants to say, yes, I will follow God, and if nobody else does, I still will. As we get ready to wrap this up, let me me tell you the story of Polycarp, and then I'm going to give you some words of the song that we're going to sing in just a moment. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John, that one who was exiled to the, the island of Patmos, Polycarp lived his life as a follower of Jesus, and in his old age, the authorities came after him. The authorities came with swords and spears and grabbed him in his home, and he asked if he could pray. And they gave him the opportunity to pray right then. He spent over two hours in just spirit filled prayer, so much so that the soldiers were asking themselves, Why are we arresting this man? But they nevertheless had their orders, and they brought him before the magistrate. And the magistrate pressed Polycarp hard. Swear the oath, he said, and I will release you. Revile the Christ. What was this oath? It was an oath of loyalty, of supreme allegiance, not to Jesus, but to the Roman emperor. Swear the oath, and I will release you. Revile the Christ. And Polycarp responded by saying, Eighty-six years have I been his servant, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? I have wild animals here, the proconsul said. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad though to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you despise the animals, I will have you burned, roared the magistrate. He said, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and then is extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire, of the coming judgment, internal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting, or why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want." And with those words, the enraged emperor gave the orders, or the magistrate rather, gave the orders to have polycarp bound and placed upon wood. And as they were lighting the fires beneath him, when the heat was on, when it cost polycarp everything, because what he believed about Jesus, this is what he prayed O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers, and every creature, and of all the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ. And the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice, as you, the true God, have predestined, revealed to me, and now fulfilled. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you, along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, to you, with him, through the Holy Spirit, be glory both now and forever. And with those words, they lit the fires to consume his body. Polycarp knew that Jesus' royalty deserved his loyalty. He had the same mindset that the Apostle Paul had. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why would we ever lay down our life if it cost us everything to follow Jesus? Because we know from Jesus that the worst they can do to us Is simply the worst they can do to us. After that, what can they do? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Our friend Scott Saul said, if your hope is anchored in Jesus, the worst case, future scenario for you his resurrection and everlasting life. So my friends, I'm going to ask this question. Let's imagine, what if when the heat is on, we follow Jesus no matter what the cost? What if we didn't love our lives so much that we were afraid to lay down our life for Jesus, the one who laid down his life for us? What if we were so convinced, based on the authority of Jesus, that the worst-case future scenario for you and for me is resurrection and everlasting life? What if we had the opportunity, like so many others who have gone before us, to have the privilege of paying the ultimate price for the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price for us? We're going to sing in just a few moments the song, Jesus, I, my cross have taken. No doubt some of you may know this or have read the poem by Henry Francis Light. It goes like this. Jesus, I, my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known, yet... How rich is my condition. God and heaven are still my own. Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them untrue. Oh, while thou dost smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and might, foes may hate and friends disown me. Show thy face and all is bright. Man may trouble and distress me, T'will but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me. Heaven will bring me sweeter rest. O, tis not in grief to harm me. While thy love is left to me, O, t'were not in joy to charm me. Were that joy unmixed with thee. Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come disaster, scorn and pain. In thy service pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. I have called thee Abba, Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. Soul, then know thy full salvation. Rise or sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station. Something still to do or bear. Think. Think. What spirit dwells within thee? Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? That word repine, that old English word meaning re- to fret to or to complain. Haste thee on from grace to glory. Armed by faith and winged by prayer. Heaven's eternal days before thee. God's own hand shall guide thee there. Soon. Shall close thy earthly mission. Soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition. Faith to sight and prayer to praise. Friends, Mercy Hill Church, may you recognize that Jesus' royalty deserves your loyalty, even if it costs you everything.